Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you, as we always do week by week, to be here with us in this place, to join us here this morning. And we trust that you have kept your promise and are here with us. May my words now be your words, and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. If we learned one thing as kids, it's that too much of a good thing can be a bad thing. And as it turned out, despite our protests, our parents were right. Too much of a good thing is often a bad thing. But this is not something that a kid knows by nature. My own children are in the thick of the discovery phase of this truism right now. To a kid's way of thinking, if putting Nutella on a bagel is good, then eating Nutella with a spoon is great. And if staying up until midnight is good, staying up until 3 a.m. is great. It is a specifically adult thing to consider the consequences of your actions, to consider what overindulgence might cost. We adults, we're the ones who think about the amount of exercise that's going to be needed to offset all of that Nutella. Or, more accurately, in my case, what the Nutella is going to do to me when I continue to not exercise enough. We're the ones, we adults, who can imagine what we'll feel like tomorrow if we stay up until 3 a.m. tonight. Of course, even knowing what we know... It doesn't always stop us from eating Nutella with a spoon or staying up until 3 a.m. or doing the same, those two things at the same time, uh, which reminds me, honey, we need some more Nutella. <laughs> uh, as we grow more mature, at least in theory, and start to see the effects of the otherwise good things that we overindulge in, we start to get more and more afraid of overindulgence, don't we? We are more and more cautious. But then, something truly tragic happens. We actually become suspicious of good things. We start having peanut butter on our bagels. Or, God forbid, start to think about how unhealthy the bagel is for us. We start going to bed earlier and earlier. Maybe, and again, God forbid, in the middle of the movie that we were watching. What kind of life is that? Suspicion of good things, fear of overindulgence, no bagels and half a movie. This is no way to live your life. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, though, I am happy to stand before you this morning with good news. Good news of great joy, which will be to all the people. I have found a thing that can be overindulged without fear. A good thing that has no dire consequences if you just keep piling it on. I'm talking, of course, about the good news itself, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you know, even the gospel itself sometimes finds itself in the crosshairs of our suspicious adult gaze. 
Could it be possible that too much good news could be a bad thing? I mean, look at what St. Paul writes in our reading this morning from Romans chapter 6. Should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? What a question this is. St. Paul has just finished writing in Romans chapter 5 what is probably, unless you perhaps believe that it is surpassed by something else Paul wrote in some other letter, Paul has just finished composing the greatest treatise on the profundity of the gospel in the history of the world. Romans 5 is an atomic bomb of good news. Therefore, he says, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5. For if while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to him by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Romans 5. And finally, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, this is Adam he's talking about, the many, all of us, were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, this is Jesus he's talking about, the many, this is us, will be made righteous. Now the law, he says, came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Romans chapter 5. Like I said, an atomic bomb of good news. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. As a reader, we are over the moon at this point, marveling at the love of God and at his grace offered to us for free in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But now Paul has a clarification. He wants to make sure the Romans and we know what he is not saying. And so he asks a rhetorical question. Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? Now, Paul knows that we humans are a tricky, conniving bunch. Knowing that human sin is always met by divine grace, should we try to access more of that grace by committing more and more sin? Does the existence of grace mean that sin is okay? Or maybe even a good thing? More sin gets us more grace, right? Maybe that should be our goal. By no means, is his answer. Absolutely not. And this is where we mature adults expect him to back off a little bit. To do what we do with our kids. To remind his readers that you can have too much 
of a good thing. We expect him to realize that he's gone too far with this grace thing, that he's overindulged. We expect him to counsel self-control. Think about how you'll feel tomorrow, we expect him to say, if you stay up until 3 a.m. tonight. Think about the extra pounds you'll start carrying, he'll warn, if you keep going with that Costco-sized jar of Nutella on your lap. If you indulge too much of a good thing, we suspicious adults are thinking, it becomes a bad thing, doesn't it? Better pull back on this grace stuff. Too much grace might lead to more sinning. But incredibly, miraculously, that's not what Paul says at all. Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. And now here he goes. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so that we too might walk in newness of life. Paul is doubling down on the good news. He doesn't back away from it, not for a second. Instead, he gives you a second helping. The you who would sin, he announces, is dead. You now walk in newness of life because you have been resurrected with Jesus Christ. This isn't advice. This is an announcement. This is itself more good news, more grace. So when St. Paul raises the common objection that preaching the free grace of the gospel will lead to licentiousness, to people sinning more so that grace will abound, he doubles down and preaches more grace, more gospel. This is the law and the gospel, the judgment of God and the promise of God. Paul has preached it radically. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, he said in Romans 5, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, so much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. And he compares Adam's sin to our sin and Christ's righteousness to the righteousness given to us in him. And he says that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen? Amen. You've heard now that your life merited death and condemnation. But you've also heard that in Christ's death, God took those things onto himself. Christ's life and righteousness given to you in exchange for your sin. It is finished. 
Amen and amen. Now, you might be hearing or understanding this good news for the first time this morning. Our word to you is repent and be baptized. Acknowledge your sin. Call out for a Savior and accept Jesus Christ's life given to you as a free gift. In baptism, which we celebrated so joyfully last week, you'll symbolically go under the water dying with Jesus. The you who would sin is put to death. But then lifted up out of the water, you'll be raised to new life in him, a life of grace upon grace, helping after helping. Or maybe this is old news to you. Maybe you've heard all this before, but you came here this week to be reminded. Because as you know, better than anyone, sin is still an issue for you. You are still human. Outside of Christ, on your own, your life still merits death and condemnation. Now, though, you live in light of and covered by Christ's death, by which God took your death and condemnation onto himself and gave Christ's life and righteousness to you in exchange. It is finished. Our word to you is repent and remember your baptism. You went under the water and died with Christ. The you who would sin is dead. You came up and were reborn with him, grace upon grace, helping after helping. The old you is dead, and you are now alive in Jesus. So what does this mean for us right now, today? Well, it means that when confronted with sin, we do not back off of the good news of the gospel. We don't say, well, yes, of course, Jesus died for you, but if you want to make God happy, you need to do better. No. Neither do we say, well, since Jesus died for you, it doesn't matter what you do. By no means. We remind the sinner, of whom remember now and forever that we are the foremost, We remind the sinner and ourselves of the gravity of our sin, that indeed it merits judgment and death, that we are called to repentance and amendment of life, that we must conform ourselves to the will of the God who created us, found in his holy scriptures. We remind ourselves of the good news again and again and again, that though we were dead in trespasses and sins, we are now, because of Christ, alive. So Christian sin is not secretly a good thing, a trick by which we can cause grace upon grace to abound all the more. Absolutely not. By no means, says St. Paul. Christian sin must be repented of, turned away from, and mortified in the flesh. But at the same time, we do not meet Christian sin simply with rules and regulations. 
We do not meet it with the announcement of a list of things that the sinner must do. We meet sin with an overwhelming double dose of the gospel. Not a reminder of what you should be doing, but a reminder of who you are now. Raised to new life in Jesus Christ, a new creation in him. A reminder of who you are. And what Jesus has done for you. We meet all human sin. First, with an accurate diagnosis. Calling it what it is. But then we meet it with an announcement that that very sin, every single ounce of it, has been taken to the cross with Christ. And cast as far away from God's adopted children, you and me, as the east is from the west. And did you catch that part about the result of who you are now? Paul says that Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father. So we too might walk in newness of life. It's good news on top of good news. Grace upon grace. Counterintuitively, it is this redoubling of the gospel, this second helping of grace and good news that actually brings about the kind of life that the risen Christ exemplifies, that the law demanded but could not produce. Jesus died and rose again for you outside of and, in fact, in spite of anything you had done, are doing, or will ever do. And he has given his perfect Righteous life to you. And now, because of that gift, you too will walk in newness of life. Not because you're told to, but because you are reborn. Remember how Paul started. Should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Now we know that such a sentiment makes no sense at all. By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? So hear this. St. Paul's word to the church in Rome and to you from chapter 6. All of us, you and me, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death. Remember that you're dead. So that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Remember, you are alive. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, which we were, we will certainly, certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And you are. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and that we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died, which you did, is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, which you did, we believe that we will also live with him, which you are. 
We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death has no dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You are dead to sin and alive to God. In Christ Jesus. When you forget who you are and fall back and re-enter that old life, repent and return to the Lord. Confess your sin. Hear the announcement of his forgiveness on account of Jesus Christ. Come back to his table, having repented. Eat the food and drink that he offers, which will strengthen you for your journey. This is the meal that will make real to you his body and blood, broken and shed for you all those years ago. The meal that connects you to his finished work that raised a dead sinner to new life in Christ. You were dead. And now, because of Jesus, you are alive. Remember that today. And always, amen.